Kelly started a new series called Starting Over last Sunday. And this is a, a series that I, I'm pretty excited about because I, when I look at my life personally and the choices that I've made, the, um, I realize that I've had a lot of regrets. I've had a lot of regrets. But here's the good news. God's given me an opportunity many times, many times, more than I'd like to admit, to start over. And so if you're sitting here today and you think, you know, it's, it's too late for me. That's not possible. Or, or it's too late for my son. Or it's too late for my daughter. I don't know how God could impact the life of my grandchild or my spouse. I don't know how God could do that. But here is the good news today. There's always an opportunity in the kingdom of God to start over. God loves his children. He knows that we're flawed. He knows that we make mistakes. He doesn't wink at them. But here's the good news. There's always an opportunity start over. So for sake of title today, this message is called Recognize Your Regrets. Something that we all love to do, right? Don't you love it when your spouse just puts their big index finger right on your regret? And they, like to, they love to remind you a little bit too. They give you a little nudge of the elbow, right? My wife's really good when we're sitting next to each other in a service. She laughs because it's true. <laughs> Pastor Kelly or some other communicator mentions something and she just goes, kapoom. And all of a sudden, that regret just goes right to the surface, you know? Whoo, it's right there. Well, I hope you're excited to be in church. Um, you can utilize your smart device today by u- utilizing the Bible app. The notes are provided in there. Or you can go on our website and follow along there as well. Or you can open up your Bible. There's Bibles provided in the seats um, right underneath you. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, please take that one and make it your own. Uh, investing in the Word of God is something you will never regret Kind of like the New York strip steak I had last night. I will not regret eating that steak. It was amazing, okay? And now you're hungry because you're thinking about lunch, aren't you? And I didn't share it, and I still have no regrets. Zero. You know, Pastor Kelly taught last week that we're to love our regrets, and trust me, I love that regret. It was good. But the things that he mentioned that I, I just want to bring to your attention here this morning is he talked about regrets of action, you know, things that we do. He talked about regrets of inaction, you know, the things that we don't do. In fact, when, when life is, is coming short or coming to an end and we've got time to reflect, it's inaction that, that studies have proven that we regret the most. And then there's also the regrets of reaction, things that have been done to us, hurts and, and things that have happened in our lives that are beyond our control that we regret. And ultimately, all those things lead to a cycle called the sorry cycle, a cycle of longing and regret. And this is, this is a dangerous place to be. In fact, before you realize that there's hope to actually start over, this is where you're going to be living your life, in the sorry cycle. It's like the pit of despair, just stuck there, mulling over again and again the things that you've done wrong. Pastor Kelly also mentioned a word called rumination. I don't even know what that means. No, I'm just kidding. I actually do. But he referenced it because it's a, it's a term that's used It's a medical term that's used, and it refers to like a cow chewing its cud. In other words, just bringing it back up, going back over, ruminating all the time about the things that you and I have done wrong. But here's where today we start by breaking the sorry cycle. This is what this message is starting on. For the next three weeks, our focus is on breaking that sorry cycle, and that first step is recognizing our regrets. And I want to I want to share a thought with you here. In order to break out of the sorry cycle of longing and regret, 
We must first recognize our regret to understand what it is that we are feeling sorry about. What you need to realize is when you're stuck in that sorry cycle, or you've made a decision in life, you really have two options in front of you, okay? Two options. The first option we're going to talk about is we can hide our regrets, okay? And then here in a little bit, we're going to talk about recognizing our regrets. But ultimately, you got to hear this, the choice belongs to you. Don't you love that this morning? The choice belongs to you. You are empowered to choose. Will I hide my regrets or will I recognize my regrets? Now, I brought this shovel in here. In case you fall asleep, I'm going to whack you with this thing. No, that's not true, is it? Uh, What kind of shovel is this? Snow shovel, a scoop shovel, uh, a haul a lot of stuff at one time shovel, right? It's got many names. It's very, I think I stole this from my parents uh, a number of years ago. I think I did. I'm serious. And um, every once in a while when they need it, I give it back to them. But um, it lives in my garage. But here's the thing. What if I sent you outside today, even as wet as the ground is, and I said, I want you to dig me a hole? Wouldn't that be kind of challenging? I mean, maybe if I gave you the right tool, it might make it a little bit easier. But with this kind of shovel right here, if I said, I want you to go out, Greg, and I want you to dig me a big hole that I can fit in. He's going to spend the rest of his day and maybe late into the night trying to accomplish that. Why? Because it's challenging. It's hard. I want you to visualize this morning that when it comes to choosing to hide our regrets, it's like digging a big hole in the ground where ultimately we're going to place that decision, that regret of action or inaction or reaction. And then we're going to take some dirt and we're going to start loading it up on top and hoping what? That we can bury what's still yet very alive in hopes that it'll never come back to the surface. But here's the problem. Who knows that those regrets are hidden? Who knows? You do. God does. So no matter how many holes you dig, no matter how deep you dig, or how often you throw over another shovel of dirt on top of that regret, the truth is you know and God knows that you're choosing to hide your regrets. You know, my youngest son, Caleb, he's four years old and he likes cookies. Any cookie lovers in the house this morning? A few of you out there, right? You love cookies. Come on, you love cookies. Come on. He gets to go up to his Nana's house on Tuesdays and hang out with his Nana and sometimes his Papa um, for, for some childcare purposes. And one of the things that his Nana loves to do is she loves to bake cookies as I'm determined that she wants to make me fat. That's her purpose in life. Because when you bring cookies home, what do you do with them? You eat them for crying out loud. You know, you don't let them sit on the counter. You don't, you don't waste them. You consume them. You enjoy them, right? Well, anyway, um, like usual, um, my son came home with a fresh bag of cookies. And Carissa, being the smart mother that she is, she hid the cookies up in the cupboard. And Caleb is kind of a climber. Well, he discovered the location of the cookies. Even after he was told not to eat them, Greg, he was told, no cookies for you, Greg. He got that bag of cookies, and he went into the corner of the room, and he proceeded to eat all the cookies. (laughs) And then he did the exact thing that we have a tendency to do is he then began to try to bury and hide his regret. He took pillow cushions and he, and he shoved them under the sofa and the table and he had that bag shoved way back in there in hopes that we would never see it. But then when, once we discovered 
Because moms, moms and dads are true detectives. We discovered those cookies were missing because we wanted to eat them. <laughs> and so we went to the boys. Boys, who's been eating the cookies? And of course, you know, Isaac's like, I didn't eat the cookies. Caleb did. I mean, you know, that's what brothers are good for, telling on one another. And Caleb's like, I didn't eat the cookies. And he's got chocolate smeared all over his face, you know. And I mean, he looks like he's loaded up on something crazy, right? All that sugar, you know. And it didn't take much time or effort to discover the hole that he had dug for himself. You know, in fact, denial is something that we've all become really good at. If you look back in Genesis, from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve made the decision to eat the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, what did they do? They tried to what? They tried to hide their regret. They tried to deny that it even happened. And what did they do? They, they were embarrassed. They were ashamed. So they clothed themselves. And if that wasn't enough, when God came down, they hid behind the bushes. I mean, talk about a couple little children. Can you imagine Adam and Eve grown, men, women, standing there hiding behind the bushes? God's looking around. Hey, where are you at? We're hiding. I mean, come on, seriously, right? I mean, that's what they were doing. And so we see this behavior is something that has existed in our nature for a long time. Why? Because we don't want to face our regrets. Why? Because they hurt. They're painful. We're ashamed of the things that we've done. You know, regrets can be anything. It could be a bankruptcy. It could be a divorce, a harsh word that brought an end to a friendship. It could be a DUI. It could be a job that was lost or a repeated sin pattern that you face in your life. And you have a choice that lies before you. Will you recognize it or will you hide it? But see, the thing that we love to do and, and some of the coping mechanisms that we have, and I already mentioned the first one, it's, it's denial. We love to deny that it even happened. So every time you dig a hole, just take a fresh scoop of denial and throw it right on top, you know? Oh, that's not even there. You know, it's like walking into your backyard thinking, who just dug the hole in my backyard, you know? But you're back there scooping more dirt on it. Denial, it's not even here. Look the other way. It's, everything is just fine. My job is going well. My career, you know, I've got, a, I've got a real path of success. You know, it seems like my kids are doing well. You know, my family life's good. I mean, look at my lawn. It's mowed. It's edged. I mean, it's green. I mean, it looks good, right? I mean, everything just seems to be doing just fine. You and I are really good at denying our regrets. Another coping mechanism that we're known for is multitasking. Now, I'm not picking on you ladies, but I got to be honest, ladies, you're better at multitasking than, than us men, okay? We're kind of like, oh, I got a thought going on right now, and I can't do anything else until I get the thought out of my head, okay? But you ladies, I mean, you can do like three, four, five, six, eight, seven things at a time and just keep running. But, but multitasking is really us keeping ourselves so busy in everything else, keeping ourselves just so entrenched in all the other things that we're just completely ignoring the fact that we have hidden our regrets. Now, here's the problem. When you've buried something that's alive, you know about it, God knows about it, and here's the problem. It's always trying to find its way to the surface. And here's the scary part. This is the really scary part about hiding your regrets, is it's exhausting. When's the last time you went into your backyard and dug a hole for a tree? It is exhausting. It will wear you out. When you've got multiple holes and you can't even walk around, I mean, you can't even put your best foot forward, right? Everything seems to be in the way. And that is the real danger of hiding your regrets. So let's look at a, let's look at a biblical character this morning, David. David and regret. King David. 
David and regret. You know, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11 and 12, we read a story about David and regret. It's a pretty powerful one, but let me give you a little backdrop on David. David was the least of Jesse's sons. How do I know that? Well, I know that because when God sent the, the, the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king of Israel, Samuel came in and he looked at Jesse's sons, Jesse's fine sons, and David was not numbered amongst them. And he looked at each one of them and he said, surely, surely this one has got to be the next anointed king. And he went through each and every one of them and not a single one of them would God write off on and say, that's my next king. No, he said, Jesse, do you have another son? Because we've kind of struck out here. Jesse's like, well, yeah, there's David. He's out tending sheep. We didn't really think he was even worthy to be here. Samuel says, go get him. And David comes in and David is the one that God anoints king of Israel. David, not only is he anointed king of Israel, but David goes out and he faces what Saul couldn't and he slays the giant. He takes down Goliath with a sling. And if it's not insulting enough, then he stands over his body with his own sword and he cuts off his head. David, a man of power, a man of integrity, of influence. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, King David. Are you with me this morning? Do you know who David is? But David faced regret. David tried to hide his regret. In 2 Samuel 11, in verse 1, it says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They, devo- uh, they destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Why is this significant? Well, here's the thing. In history, during the springtime, that was a, that was a time of abundance, of, of a time when, when food supply was good, water supply was good, weather was good. And so that was a great time for a nation to wage war against another nation. And so it was a normal time, a normal season. You got to remember, Israel was brought into the promised land and God told them, I'm not going to drive all the peoples out just yet, but one by one, I'm going I'm to empower you. And I'm going to go before you and we're going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And ultimately, this place will be your land. So David had done this many times before. God used him strategically to begin to establish the strongest presence that Israel had in the promised land to date. He was was an amazing warrior, a man of God, a poet. But all of a sudden, his great wealth and position had gotten to his head. And instead of going out and leading his armies like he had done so many times before, David stayed back to enjoy the pleasures of his kingdom. And it says one day, David was up sitting on his couch, up on the rooftop. And David looked out and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. Now, men in the room, I just want to tell you this. You always have to protect your eyes. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. We always have to protect our eyes. The enemy always uses this as a tactic to get you to make a decision that ultimately you will regret. And trust me, you will want to hide. And ladies in the room, dress modest for crying out loud. Can I just be honest with you? We men have to guard our eyes, but come on, you guard your bodies. Help us out a little bit, okay? 
I'm not picking anybody out here today. I'm just saying we're, we're a team. We're a family. And we got we to gotta help each other out. But David saw a beautiful woman. Her name was Bathsheba. She had been bathing. And he immediately made a decision in his heart. He says, I want to be with Bathsheba. Now, here's the really scary part. Bathsheba was a married woman. She was, ma- she was married to Uriah. And Uriah was a powerful, well-known soldier in David's army. He had been out fighting on David's behalf. And now David looked down and he sees what Uriah has. And he says, I want re- what Uriah has. And he summons Bathsheba to come. And she does. And, he, and the Bible says that he sleeps with her. Naughty, naughty boy. And so David begins to dig a hole in the palace. He wants to hide his regret. He, wasn't, he doesn't want anybody to know what he just committed, what he has just, just done. He just committed adultery. Do you know in that time, in that era, it would have been common for them to drag out people committing adultery and stone them to death? And now the king, who is supposed to have integrity, who's supposed to be a man after God's own heart, has just committed adultery. And if that isn't bad enough, Bathsheba summons back to David and says, Hey, David, um, we got a problem. I'm pregnant. And so David, man, he's really in denial. So he throws on another scoop. He says, Well, let's, let's summon Uriah. I'll reach out to Joab, my general. Let's summon Uriah to come back. And so David began to scheme. He had a plan. He was, gonna, he was going to get Uriah to come back and hoping that if he got Uriah back home and saw his beautiful wife, that he would then spend the night with his wife in hopes to cover up for the sin that they had committed and thinking that the child that was going to be born to Bathsheba would actually have been Uriah's son or child. And so David summoned Uriah. And Uriah came before the king. And David acted like nothing had happened. He just kept digging down, denial, multitasking around himself. He just kept digging, 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 trying to keep everything covered up. And he thought, if I could just get Uriah to his home. And so David, being intentional, sent a gift with Uriah to be sent to his home in hopes that he would go back to be with his wife. But you know what Uriah did? Uriah Uriah thought, how do I deserve to be back home and enjoy the pleasures of, of marriage and, and, and relax in my own bed for a night? How, why should I enjoy that when all of Israel is out fighting? When the ark of God is out there in position and we are waging war, why would I deserve to be able to enjoy that kind of comfort? And so you know what he did? Instead of going to his home, he slept on the doorsteps of the king's house. David found out, and he was really frustrated. I thought, what in the world? So he said, okay, Uriah, why don't you stay a couple more days, and then I'm going to send you back. But here's the thing. David got him, got him over to the house again, got some food in him, and then he got him really drunk, hoping that maybe, just maybe, he would lower his inhibitions enough that he would go home. But Uriah was a righteous man, a man of integrity, a man of quality, and he was unwilling to go home, and so he stayed at the doorstep of the king. Then finally, David, realizing that his whole, I mean, he's got, at this point, we've got holes all over the palace, digging everywhere. And he digs his biggest hole yet. He, said, he writes a letter in his pen to go to Joab, his general, to be carried by the very hand of Uriah that ultimately would lead to Uriah's death. He said, Joab, I want you to get Uriah out there in the, in the, in the fiercest fighting. And when you have your moment, I want you to, I want you to retreat. And leave him by himself to die. And so Uriah goes back to the, to the war. 
and it costs him his life. So David has now committed adultery. He's been lying. He's been scheming. And now he's committed murder. David, man after God's own heart, trying to hide his regrets. And so this is what God does. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and one poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. And he had raised it, and he grew up with him, and he called it. I didn't do that part. He grew up with him and his children. He shared his food and drank from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. And instead, he took the, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David was enraged by the story that the prophet Nathan is now communicating to him. He thought, how dare this rich man? How could he do that? This poor, poor man had one sheep and he took everything that he had. He was so selfish. He deserves to be punished. He deserves to die. He deserves to pay back four times, four times full what he had taken away from the poor man. Furious. And Nathan, Nathan looks at David and he says, David, that man is you. Man is you. Can you imagine that moment? Nathan standing before the most powerful man in the land. He's already murdered Uriah. He's already knocked up Bathsheba. He's done a lot of horrible things. It wouldn't take a lot of effort to get rid of Nathan too. But then something begins to happen. David makes a choice that changes the outcome of his story. And it's a choice that you and I can make today to begin to change the outcome of our stories. Because the truth is, we all have regrets. We've all done things that we are ashamed of. And we wish somehow, some way, God willing, that we could fly back in time in the DeLorean, because that's what it would be if we had time machines. It'd be a DeLorean. And that we could go back to that moment and somehow change it and make it like it never happened. But here's the thing. You can't change the past. You can either keep choosing to hide it, or you can be like King David and you can choose to recognize it. And listen, listen to what David says in 2 Samuel 12, 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, David, he realized that the gig was up. He realized he had digging holes all over his life, all over the palace. And there were inside each one of those holes was something that was alive. He knew about it. Bathsheba knew about it. His general knew about it. God knew about it. I mean, it was shameful things that he had done and all of them were screaming out, asking to be brought to the light. And finally, when David was confronted with his sin, he did something that you and I can do. And it's something that Peter, that we heard from, from Pastor Kelly last week that he talked about, Peter did later on in his life. And listen to 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. David had a choice, but so do you. 
God doesn't wink at your sin. God isn't proud of your sin, but he still loves you with an everlasting love. He still has a plan and a purpose that outlives any regrets that you have made. And here's the thing. If you and I can man up, if you and I can woman up and begin to choose and to recognize our regrets, here is the good news. If we'll humble ourselves before an almighty God, there is hope on the horizon that you and I can still start over. There is hope. Here's the scary thing is the enemy. You know, the Bible pinpoints three things that he's really good at. He comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. You know, it's interesting. He's been around a long time. His tactics haven't changed. You know, he's really good at finding those regrets that you've hidden and buried deep. At least you thought you buried them deep. And he loves messing with your mind. He loves messing with your heart. He loves whispering in your ear late at night when you lay there in bed and all you can think about are the regrets of yesterday and you wish somehow, some way they could be different. But I'm telling you this morning that we can begin to break the sorry cycle in our lives if we will learn to choose to recognize our regrets. If we'll learn to face them head on for what they are. Yes, there's going to be consequences. When we found out that Caleb ate those bag of cookies, we sent him to his room. It doesn't really sound that bad, does it? You know, sometimes the decisions you've made are going to have consequences that you will have to face. But be of good cheer because God is on your side. And God will give you the power and the anointing to help you through to face the circumstances that you've created in your own life. He will help you through. He'll lead you through. Yeah, it's going to hurt. It's kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. It hurts. But he will lead you through. He will heal and restore you. And yes, you and I can start over. I'm going to invite Bonnie to come as I begin to close here this morning. There's a couple key things that we have to begin to practice when it comes to recognizing our regrets. The first thing that we've got to, we've got to do is we've got to be honest with ourselves. You see, when you're, when you're hiding that regret and you're in denial, you're not even being honest with yourself. I mean, come on, you've had that self-talk before. You know exactly what I'm saying. Oh, that wasn't that bad. I really didn't mean that. I mean, yeah, I posted it on Facebook, but who cares, right? I mean, everybody's doing it, right? Is that really that big of a deal? But we have to make a choice. Be honest with ourselves. You know, years ago, in my early years of life, I made a lot of choices that I, that I regret. And I do wish to God that I could go back and change them. But I can't. I can't change them. My past, it's your past. There's been many nights I've laid in bed thinking about different things. That first step is getting honest with yourself, taking ownership. You know, if you and I will learn to take ownership of our actions, this world would be a better place. Your family would be a better place. Your marriage would be in a healthier place. Your work environment would be a friendlier place. If you and I could learn to be honest with ourselves and take responsibility for our actions, 
Maybe you didn't even mean to hurt somebody. That's okay. Take responsibility. Be honest with yourself. And the second thing that we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to get honest with God. You know, this one, this is where it gets a little bit more challenging, right? It's one thing to admit to yourself that you were a complete idiot. I'm speaking to myself, see, I'm pointing at myself. But it's a whole nother thing to humble yourself before an almighty God who looks down from heaven with love and grace and mercy, and he's done nothing but try to help you along the way. It's one thing to have to get real and really lay down the details and outline all the things that you've done. Because here's the thing. Yeah, he knows because the Bible says he already knows everything. He knows the very numbers of hairs on your head. He knows the numbers of days that you're going to have on this earth. He knows everything about you from inside and out. In fact, the Bible says that he even knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. But yet for, for some reason, he wants you to get honest with him. He wants you to lay it out. God, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. This is part of taking ownership of our regrets. It's part of getting them out of the ground and beginning to shed some light on them. And here's the, the most amazing part that happens when we get honest with God. Is God doesn't look at you with disgust, like maybe a spouse or a, a family member or a friend would. You know, sometimes when you admit something to somebody, they may give you some disgust because they can't believe that you did that. But God looks at you with love. And here's the most beautiful thing that happens. He begins to cleanse you of all unrighteousness with the precious blood of Jesus. And he gives you a clean slate. You know, he doesn't just give you a clean slate. He forgets that it even happened. You know, you go back to it later and you're like, hey, remember God, I was talking to you about this and this and this. And he's like, well, honestly, honestly, Stephen, I don't even remember that. Because remember, you put that under the blood of Jesus and it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, it is gone. It's been forgiven. And finally, this is what we have to do. We've got to get honest with someone else. And I think out of all three of these things, this is the hardest step. But if you'll commit to choosing to recognize regret when it happens. And if you'll choose to get honest with yourself, honest before God, and honest with something else, somebody else, excuse me, you are on a path to breaking that sorry cycle. You're on a path of healing. You're on a path of reconciliation. You're on a path of transformation. You're on a path that when you look back five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 40 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to realize that God gave you an opportunity to start over. And you're going to rejoice every moment along the way because you're going to see the hand of God as he worked in and through your life to redeem you from your regrets. So I encourage you, if you don't have that person in your life that you can be real with, you know, your spouse is a really great person to start with. That's why God gave you a spouse if you're privileged to be married. If you don't have a spouse, maybe a, a really great friend, maybe even a parent or a loved one, somebody that you can be raw and real with. You know why this step is so important? Because the moment you bring it into the light, it doesn't matter what people say. Yeah, sure, when people throw stones, it still hurts. But you know when it's in the light, you know who can't mess with you anymore? The enemy. He'll still show up and he'll still try to point at it and all you got to do is tell him to shut up. 
You say, Dad, I've already brought that to before God. I brought it before myself. I brought it before God. I brought it before others. Guess what? It's in the light. It's known. People know about it. I don't care, devil. Shout it from the rooftops because you know what? I'm free in Jesus' name. I don't have to live in that cycle of regret any longer. I am free because of what he has done for me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? We didn't get a chance in our earlier service to really pause and pray. But we've got a few moments here together, if you'll allow me. Maybe you're sitting here today and you realize that you've been choosing to hide your regrets. You've been choosing to bury them. And if it was revealed, it would scare you to death. For people around you, sometimes the people that know you the best to realize what's really going on in your heart and life. Are you willing this morning to choose to recognize your regrets? Are you willing this morning to get honest with yourself, honest with God and honest with others so that you can be healed and set free and break the sorry cycle in your life? If you're here today and you just need that, that touch, that help in your life to choose to recognize, choose to face head on the things that you know that you've done wrong. I don't have to tell you, no. And you're ready to quit hiding. If that's you this morning, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just want you to lift a hand as a, as a testimony to say, I, I want to choose that. I want to choose to recognize my regrets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to wait a minute longer. I think there's others in the room. We, we've got to learn to choose this and face it head on. Thank you. Thank you. All around this room, people are realizing that need to recognize regrets and face them. And I'm going to pray this morning because God is going to help you because he loves you. And when you begin to recognize regrets, he will help you on that path to work through it. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you this morning. Thank you this morning for your love and thank you this morning for your grace. God, around this room, we all understand that we have made choices or failed to make choices, God, that we regret or we've experienced, like we heard last week, things that have been done to us that we've reacted to. But with all the things above, we realize, God, that we've been stuck in that sorry cycle and we've been hiding our regrets Choosing rather to deny than to recognize. And I pray this morning for your people today. God, help us to stop choosing to hide and help us to choose to recognize. Help us to choose to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with you, and to be honest with others. And I thank you, God, for that healing touch. I thank you, God, for that transformation. God, I thank you for that reconciliation, that work that you're beginning right now today in the hearts and lives of your people. God, give them the boldness and the courage to see it through. Because I know the moment they walk out this door, the enemy is going to try to distract them, to deter them from doing what they know is right in their heart. But God, I pray, put them on a path that they would never look back. But God, they would look to you, the author and perfecter of their faith. 
God, give them the courage and the faith and the boldness, God, to do it, to step out, to recognize, to admit when they've been wrong. And God, I thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. God, I thank you for your healing touch in their heart, in their life, in their families, in their marriages, in their workplaces, and right here in Neighborhood Church. Thank you, God, for bringing that reconciliation as we lay it out to you, as we get honest with you. And Lord, I thank you this morning for meeting us here. God, we give you praise and we give you glory and we honor you above all. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.